Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. All right team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera, and today we have Abby Ann Fowler with us today, talking some Cat Springs Yopon. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, how are you? Doing very good. Is it Yopon or Yupon? Like I know in Texas we like to make our own words up, but what is the right <laughs> pronunciation of it? Uh, Yopon. Yopon. Okay. But but you do hear throughout the U.S. Um, you know, different variances. So. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I'm sure yeah. we'll get into that. So, okay. Yo. <laughs> Wait. Did you say Yupon or Yopon? Yopon. Okay. Yopon. All right. Good. I've been nailing it then. So okay. <laughs> so y'all, I. Uh, Abby and I actually got introduced to another entrepreneur who we had on the show a little bit ago um, doing some 3D printing. And she said, you got to talk to Abby and she's working on some really great stuff out there and a healing beverage that uh, here in Texas. And so, of course, you know, I'm glad we were able to connect. Let me tell you all a little bit about Abby and what I'm really we're going to talk about a lot today, not only how she really got into making this, you know, some people see it as a weed actually tastes good and actually find out that it was good for your body. Uh, but really, I think her background and where she came from is always an interesting story. So let me give you a quick rap sheet on Abby Ann and then we'll dive right into it. But I find fascinating. So you're an Aggie. My brother's an Aggie. So <laughs> I have a soft space. I'm the one who went the other route. And so it's always cool to just see somebody. So you did, you went undergrad there and then you also did your master's there and then got your mm -hmm. MBA at Acton after that. Went into the world, which is, this is why I think it's so fascinating. Worked at Ernest & Young and then Lululemon and then said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start Cat Springs Yopon. So tell me a little bit about how, and of course, if I missed anything in there, but I'm always curious, how does somebody go from being in this really buttoned up corporate life and decides <laughs> to kind of go work in the fields and do something totally different. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Did the five year undergrad and master's program, um, at A and M and, um, you know, I think everyone, it, a function of that kind of program and the support is, you know, if you're smart and you're driven and you're going to be successful, then this is who you need to go work for. And, um, just had never really uh, questioned it until I started to to work in that industry and realized it was um, not a great fit. But at the same time, you know, I graduated with my master's in marketing in 2008. <laughs> and so the summer before I had done an internship with coach purses in New York and thought, you know, I'm going to go into the fashion world and I'm going to live in New York. And the opening job offer was, I think, like $32,000 um, a year, which I was like, cool. And I can live under a bridge. Yeah, um, I was going to say in New York. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, in New York. Right. So I um, decided I'd be a little bit more responsible. And, um, and, and I had talked to enough people at that point to know I didn't know what I wanted to do, but they're like, accounting background, um, you'll have a good understanding. I think that they say like, the, it's the language of business. So I figured even if they were wrong, um, it would be a good, a good background and a good experience. And um, yeah, pretty quickly realized it was not a great personal fit. I'm not um, cut out to be an auditor. I think a lot of people are really great at it. And um, I'll never forget my one of my first weeks on the job my one of my bosses said like you're going to be really good at this because you can look busy and immediately i was like oh no <laughs> i 
Um, that is crazy because I you got okay first give us a little insight. Does it sound as tedious as the job? I mean, is it? I can't imagine even being near trying to even think about what that role looks like and feels like. <laughs> is it as bad as it sounds? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, oh, no. no, I mean there are some aspects that I think were interesting, um, but when you're starting, you know you're staff one, you're at the bottom of the bottom. So the most exciting thing you do is go get lunch for everybody. Um, and the rest of the time, you're just doing the most nine, not like mind numbing, tying schedules and spread spreadsheets and requesting all these reports from the customer or the client rather. And um, I'm one of those people who have always been taught to, you know, work harder, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. And, um, so once I realized like I could finish my work at 2 PM, but you wanted me to stay till 11 so you could bill me out, um, it was a little bit soul crushing and, um, but it was a really good experience in a lot of ways. I think it helped, you know, I call it my freshman and sophomore year of life, <laughs> huge learning curve. Um, and I think it was nice to have in some ways, almost a mind numbing job while I learned all the other stuff, um, of learning how to be an adult and, grocery shop for yourself for the week and you know all of all of that and I um, was in DC at the time too okay, so yeah, I was gonna ask where it was yeah it was it was in a fun new city and learning how um, you know DC is very different than Texas and so it just was it was great um, and then throughout that process over the years realized um, you know I'd wanted to I'd always loved retail it's what I had known um, and so I, at that time, there was this yoga clothing company that was just blowing up and I thought they were doing something pretty different. And so um, it was right when Lululemon was opening several stores in the DC area. And so uh, left Ernst & Young to go work for them in a community development role. And so it was kind of this very localized approach to marketing. And so my job was really just getting into the yoga studios and getting into the gyms and um, building relationships and um, kind of really being a resource for people who wanted to uh, find good gyms and good studios and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then also to build the relationships with the instructors who were at the front of the classes. And so, um, yeah, it was really fascinating. And I had a kind of hybrid where I was half in store and then half doing a lot of this community development. So like I planned the, um, the cherry blossom yoga festival on the national mall with like a couple thousand people and oh, got to do just some really neat things. Um, like <laughs> thought it was a great idea. We'd wire up the yoga instructor so that use her heart rate as the baseline for the music and have like a DJ actually like <laughs> mixing it behind them. And so it was just like really cool stuff like that. Um, and then, but through that realized I, um, I wanted to work for myself and um, I wanted to do something that felt important. Um, not that, you know, I think there are some aspects of um, promoting a healthy lifestyle that are important, but um, I just really was craving something a bit more multi-layered. And so started, um, that's when I came back to Austin. Um, I thought temporarily and told my boyfriend at the time <laughs> it was going to be temporary, but uh Two years later, we were married and he moved down to Austin. So it worked out all right. But um, <laughs> a little here. bit of, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a bait and switch. Um, but came down to do my MBA at Acton um, and just kind of through that process, which was, it was a great program. Um, 
decided to to launch Cat Spring Yopon in the midst of that. God, it's incredible. I mean, a couple things come to mind there. One, like you said, all those experiences, they do kind of, it's always fascinating to me to see how those building blocks kind of lead to you being sure. just like a sharp weapon now in what you're doing. And I got to imagine, even when I was talking about the auditors, like it's that job is extremely necessary, but you find like where your fit and feel is. And that's just like mm -hmm. my best utilizing that role. Before we talk cat springs though, the, the Lululemon stuff's interesting to me, especially you working in the community. You look at the brand now as just this powerhouse and it's almost mm -hmm. very well groomed and you can just, I mean, it's a machine. But in the early days of when you were involved with it, I imagine you're probably using some of that, some of those things that you learned there, but like, what about it did you find was an interesting special sauce that they were doing in the early days that allowed them? Cause it does feel really big yet very local. It's a really interesting sure. dynamic. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things that they did that was uh, really unique at the time, you know, most, you know, Nike was spending the millions on Tiger Woods, you know, like that's kind of how uh, a lot of brands interacted. And I think, um, yes, those athletes are um, super aspirational and should be sponsored. I'm not <laughs> negating that, but yeah. at the same time, like, yeah, Steph Curry is really inspiring and he is so different than me. <laughs> like there's nothing about him that I could leverage, you know, like, yeah, Tom Brady, he's great, but like, mm, I'm not going to necessarily follow his workout routine. So therefore, why would I wear his clothes kind of, um, That's your point. and so I think what Lululemon did was, um, they identified kind of the aspirational people within the community. So and they asked them to be their ambassadors and build the relationships with them. So we were sponsoring um, on a much smaller scale, but in a, in a more impactful way, you know, a lot of these kind of local leaders. And so as soon as, you know, the person who is the spin instructor that every class is totally packed is wearing Lululemon head to toe, um, then everyone in the class is going to be interested. And I think what, um, I was so inspired by at the time was that, um, you know, a lot of it was, it wasn't communicated as transactional. It was very relational and that's what they wanted. Um, they wanted us to be building relationships within the teams, um, within the community. And, you know, we were constantly trying to be a resource for our local community. So whether it was run clubs or constantly updating the board at the front of the store for where the studios were, you know, and bringing mm -hmm. teachers in to do classes. And, um, it just made it very, very relational. And, um, and I think that at the time, you know, it was like mid two thousands to, you know, kind of 28, 2008 to 2012 ish around there, that was just really different. And I think, um, that level of, um, I feel like this is overused, but authenticity, um, really was very refreshing um both for the employees and for the um customers i mean i remember looking in every single manager assistant manager regional manager within my dc region like we all had our master's degree if not more in our working retail you know like it was just this kind of interesting like okay what are you doing that are attracting this many um really qualified people yeah. um to leave law to leave you know all of these different industries that we've been told are are lucrative and and sought after um and not that those industries are inherently bad but it's just a very different priority and i think lululemon was really ahead of that 
That's incredible. Yeah, it was so magnetizing, and they still figured out how to create that earthiness, even with what they're doing as big as they get. So mm-hmm. tell me about kind of now going into you working for yourself. You're saying, "Hey, I want to get into this world." Why? So maybe first of all, is why Yopam, but maybe even before that, what is it? Maybe for everyone who's listening who hasn't <laughs> drank it before, like what is Yopan? And then maybe kind of talk about how did you decide to get into that world? Sure. So uh, we like to say it's Texan for tea, uh, but simply <laughs> <laughs> it's the only caffeinated plant native to North America. So, you know, we import all of our tea and coffee in the U.S. This is our only domestic source of caffeine um, that's native. You know, we obviously have grown tea and coffee since, but it uh, was all imported. And um, it was actually in 2011. um, If you were, yeah, if you were in Texas, you remember it's like the driest year in recorded Texas history. Yeah, no think, Yeah. And I think they're now saying statewide, we lost something like 300 million trees you know, it was devastating. Um, Holy smokes. Now that they've had like a decade to see the impact of it. Yeah. um, Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And so at the time where we were in Cat Spring, I was living in DC, but my family um, had land in Cat Spring, Texas, and um, we were losing everything, you know, hundred old oak trees, obviously all the cattle. um, And the only thing that wasn't dying was Yopan. And we're just like, started to do some research, honestly, in the same vein that you would be like, I wonder what's good about fire ants, because they don't seem to die ever. (laughs) Um, And just, (laughs) I wish I could be like, we knew there was something special, but no. (laughs) Um, And just, we're just super intrigued that they, there's these studies that were coming out of Texas A&M and the University of Florida that uh, were you know, substantiating these health benefits, um, chemo preventative and colon cancer are really high in antioxidants, higher than blueberries, polyphenols, caffeine, you know, all these amazing things. And then also just kind of seeing a bit of the totally forgotten, arguably erased legacy of the indigenous tribes and nations, um, with Yopan, um, you know, it, doesn't grow in Oklahoma. And so with the forced relocation was just this really huge loss of tradition. Um, and so to be candid, we were like, man, it must taste terrible. Cause at the time no one was selling it. And mm-hmm. that was the only logical thought was if no one's selling this, then it just, it can't taste good. And, um, so we just started to play with some different preparation methods and put a landing page up to see if people would volunteer for taste testing. And, um, they did from all over really? the world. Yeah. Still did you like ship it to them and then they'd be like, let me see what this is like. Yeah. We'd give them a couple really? different preparation methods and be like, are the A, B, C, D, E, which one did you like best? What were the tastes? That sort of thing. Um, and that's really how we got started. And then started to uh, produce at a bigger scale and go to farmer's markets. Um, so our first commercial harvest was in like March, 2013. Um, so that was kind of the first time we really started to sell anything, uh, and just tried to get it out in front of people, um, and get their feedback and, you know, see if, if we weren't the only ones that thought we had something that was worth sharing and yeah. Did it, does it, is it something you have to, I'm sure this is a longer conversation, but just, do you have to dry it out in order for it to be drinkable or can you go right in from its green state? 
Sure. Um, you can go from the green state. Um, it's a hard way to commercially do it, but obviously a bunch of different tribes had traditions with it. Everything yeah. from steeping it fresh to um, like almost making like a poultice of like tobacco and just kind of oh, chewing yeah, on sure. it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think from it starts drying with as soon as you cut it. So in order to, to send it anywhere um, that yeah, it's dried. You have to drive. So when y'all were, did so did you go, let me drink this real quick and you're like, mm, ain't so bad, but let me make sure other people actually think it's good. Is that kind of how it went or? Kind of. I mean, so tea is pretty interesting. So if you look at all the traditions of tea across the world, like the way they make it in Sri Lanka is very different than Kenya or China. Um, and so a lot of those, there's so many different ways, it, all the oxidation and the processes of oxidation affect the flavor profile. And so we were kind of trying to see which hybrid or form would suit Yopon best. Um, and so everything from, you know, manual chopping it to drying it in the sun to in an oven to on a walk, like all of these different ways to do it. And then um, kind of landing on what we thought was uh the most interesting and pleasant, but then also what would be scalable. Um, Where did y'all land on that? Well, we have three different preparation methods. So we have like a green, which will be a dried, and then we have a medium roast, um, which will be closest in preparation to like a puer. Mm-hmm. And then um, our dark roast will be most similar to a like traditional black tea. So do you, is it like same coffee kind of principles, which I just learned this the other day, by the way, I had no idea. I thought the darker the roast, the more caffeine, it's got to be more robust. And this coffee guy was like, dude, think about it. You're burning the caffeine off the darker it gets. So actually the lighter the roast, the more caffeine it is. Is that the, is that the same thing with Yopan? Um, We haven't seen that much of a variation in the okay. caffeine. It's just a really, really hearty leaf. Um, and so chemically there's not a huge difference and um it's mainly in the taste that you find a difference what so. do y'all find is it middle of the road is kind of the most popular do you find that folks kind of gravitates to or is it which is kind of the popular amongst customers? you know it's actually pretty split between the three uh right. you know we sell most of our dark roast is probably the most popular to like restaurants because it's yeah. going to be the most familiar as a, a black iced tea Mm-hmm. Um, but blenders. And so people who are making their own blends really like the medium or the green, um, depending on if they want uh, green, like kind of more grassy notes forward, or if they want kind of that roasted. Uh, so it really, it kind of depends on what most of their customers like, uh, yeah. you know, obviously like yoga studios and those sorts of like spas tend to like the green more. Um, but it, yeah, it, it varies. And, and we see it even split between like, cause we sell a bunch of different like kombucha makers and, um, and so it's pretty split between the, those as well. It just really depends on what they're adding in as, um, as flavors to complement. So, yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. So that's, that's actually really neat. It's kind of cool to have it split just to kind of see the variance and taste there. Do you find, is it a, the, the, the plant itself, um, Yopan itself, does it grow pretty quickly? Like, is it one of those things that once you harvest it, I mean, it is back as almost as quick as you cut it down kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, the majority of by cutting it, we're, we're stressing the plant. Right. And so the thing it does, it's a rhizome, so it'll just shoot out more roots and then it'll grow straight up out of those. And so 
we tend to like to wait a couple years before we come back and oh, harvest because okay. the majority of the um the antioxidants and caffeine will be in the mature leaves and oh, those that's are really cool yeah so yeah. it's not just chop and make i mean there is i mean i knew that but i figured you guys actually have to think about these things but <laughs> I, it's it's fascinating to me to like see about this thing that you're right. I've seen it. I grew up on, you know, my grandfather's ranch down in South Texas and stuff. You see this kind of stuff everywhere and you're right. There's so many things I walk by that you're just like, what the heck is that? But just like anything, anything that grows in nature is going to have, you know, things that you can or cannot, as you put it, stress out. And then it probably mm -hmm. changes the dynamic of it. I and mean, it's probably why everybody from vineyards to uh, even type of orchards and things like that, that you have to have patience in this thing and not over commercialize. So that's really fascinating to hear. So how did you get, how did you decide um, that, okay, cool product. I got some taste test stuff back. It sounded like people will have some kind of, they resonate with it. How did you decide, all right, I'm going all in or did you kind of half foot on the dock with a regular job while you were getting this thing ramped up? What was kind of the idea there? Well, so, um, I started it while I was still in my MBA program and kind of using it as, um, so Acton is fully case-based study, right? So every, it's, it's, there's no lectures. It's just all case-based. And I kind of just had cat spring in the back of my mind um, in each of these scenarios, right? So I was like vetting it um, in, in every, every aspect. And also along the, the way realized, I mean, it is very labor intensive, right? Um, it's an agricultural product that we are hand harvesting and processing. And um, that's just the way tea is, you know? And so we uh, also were kind of realizing at the same time, you know, I grew up in Houston and um, I just, we were just starting to become a lot more aware of uh, how pervasive human trafficking was in Houston and just kind of felt a lot of kind of with knowledge comes responsibility. And what are we, what are we going to do about that? And just started to really kind of work with some different organizations and, and realize that there's a, a huge need for um, understanding employers because the criminal justice system is completely broken in our country and just totally stacked against um, so many individuals that, do want their future to look different than their past. And so we realized that we had an opportunity to start creating roles specifically for individuals. And <laughs> I think looking back, oh, we had so much to learn, but you know, we thought there was so much that we needed to offer. Like we needed to offer um, resources and trainings and all of this to help people um, kind of just get back on their feet and actually all we needed to do was be an understanding employer, um, especially because one of the hallmarks of people living in generational poverty is the fact that they live from crisis to crisis, right? So it's not if there will be another crisis, it's when, and um, will we help like hold space for them and be understanding so that the next crisis doesn't have to mark the end of employment with us, but that we can be flexible. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's what we've done and it's looked different over the years especially because <laughs> i mean we produced more last week than we did in the first two years of business so obviously our hiring <laughs> looks a little different but um yeah. that's really held true um and um yeah so i think knowing i don't you know one of the reasons i had left lululemon was wanting um just something a little bit more impactful and so um yeah i was really interested and i think too 
you know, Yopon is um, where we are. If you leave a building abandoned for five years, Yopon will grow through its walls. I mean, it is a tenacious, tenacious plant. And so yeah. the way it's seen is, is as a nuisance and people literally are bulldozing and burning it because that's the only way to get rid of it. Um, in, in the same way, there's so many people in our community that are being overlooked and marginalized and um, not seen as having value. And so it just felt like this kind of no brainer way to build a business, but then also just really, I feel like put me in the seat of being a steward of this opportunity, right? Like, we didn't invent Yopon. <laughs> I mean, virtually like thousands of tribes for generation and millennia drank it. Um, you know, there's just so many things that we feel like we were uh, being a steward of. And so that was what was really interesting to me. So it sounded like it connected a lot of things than just, hey, let's go make a living, you know, and try to figure this out. I would imagine that's why somebody doesn't spend a decade doing something that is as yeah. tough and competitive and educational and all those things. To, I tell me more about, you know, to the extent that you can share, because I think that that's really cool, man, that y'all are actually figure out like being an understanding employer. What does that look like? Cause I do think that there seems to be this renaissance of working with your hands, getting back out there, manufacturing has become a thing, so on and so forth and agriculture mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, you know, maybe it's our generation. have just found that tech has become more cool. Office work has been the migration. And, um, and, and there's just a lot of these uh, really uh, laborious kind of roles that aren't filled anymore, yet there seems to be a demand for it. So I'd love to learn more about just kind of how do you guys, tell me more about y'all's, it seems like part of your mission is being that understanding employer. And what does that look like for the employees? I mean, what's that, uh, what's that culture look like? And just how do you get people to find y'all? Because I imagine that there's probably no shortage of help that you need as you guys are growing. Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, there's several different aspects to it. Um, you know, one, my harvest manager is actually her background's a tra trained social worker. And so she just comes with a whole um, history and kind of toolkit. And then some of the man other managers that we have have been with us for, you know, eight years at this point. And um, that is actually their background. And I think that's what's been so humbling is, um, I actually don't personally, from my comfortable middle-class upbringing, know where a lot of these resources are, like how to transfer your kid to the schools you want, how to manage Medicare, Medicaid, you know, all of these things um, and the resources and, um, you know, checking in with your parole officer, what does the parole officer need? Like, what are you able to do before a judge? Like, that's just not been my background. Um, and so I think that's what's been really cool is that it all we needed to do is kind of create the space for it and um and more than anything just being willing to be flexible on the schedule so it's like oh you know you have a health problem and need to wait in line in the waiting room for five hours to get into the specialist and you would miss your shift but if you call us and let us know then yeah, you can work till 10 PM tonight on the packaging um, or whatever it may be. And so I think that, and just kind of supporting people where they are um, has, 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 it sounds so simple, um, but it kind of really is. <laughs> well, I mean, but it doesn't fit well into a spreadsheet. So like, I can see why no. a lot of people don't want to do that. Right. Like, it's just like, yeah. Abby, and what do you heck are you talking about? Like, how do you create predictability when you scale? 
how do you do that? Or have you just created a culture where you're just like, Hey, we're just juking and jiving. I don't know. How does that work? <laughs> it's probably a bit of a balance. Um, okay. you know, there's some weeks where I'm like, man, we are killing it. We can, <laughs> we can probably produce a million pounds this week. And then there's some where I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like this is going to work. But I also think that's just the journey of an entrepreneur in general. Um, and so I think the ups and downs, but overall, I think it, it works. And, and it's certainly not, um, you know, not all of our employees are, would maybe fit that demographic, um, but having some, um, and then just making sure that the ones that we hire are um, aware and supportive. And so, yeah, I think it, yeah, it probably wouldn't work for, you know, a lot of industries. Um, and it also might not work for entire companies, but there's definitely space to carve out some roles um, with it. Well, I bet y'all are creating, I mean, I'm not there, but I got to imagine y'all are creating this kind of paid forward mentality because you get folks, I mean, in the 10 years y'all have been around, I got to imagine their stories, just like the, the, somebody who's been there since the beginning or seven or eight years can talk to somebody who's incoming, who just feels like they've, they've been marginalized and never been given a chance and see somebody who could be them if they just gave it an opportunity and sure. be inspired by that. I mean, that's got to be cool. Yeah. And I think that's what's, it's been interesting because, you know, kind of earning the trust of saying like, no, no, we really mean it. Like be honest with us. Um, can only really come from the employees that have been there a while when they're saying like, no, they really mean it. Like be honest. Um, and so, yeah, that's been cool. Man. It's in, so, I mean, as far as your concern, is this kind of the, I'm always curious where, you know, our brains of an entrepreneur and someone who operates a business is like, is this it for you? I mean, to the extent that you can determine or how does that feel when it comes to, because it seems like it checks a lot of boxes, but I also yeah. understand that, you know, life happens, but I am curious, like, are you kind of like, wow, this is probably the first time in a long while that I've found something, or are you kind of like, ah, you know, we'll see, maybe at some point it could be great to expand into something else. Sure. I think, um, yeah. Uh, I do feel in a lot of ways, like this is my life's work. Um, and I think that is kind of humbling. And also I feel like very often, um, the entrepreneurial like media or whatever it may be, uh, kind of, kind of throws a little bit of shade on, um, that lifestyle business. You know, that's not a real company. That's a lifestyle business or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, but a lot of those are real companies. <laughs> They're <laughs> just right. privately owned. Um, and they don't spend 90 hours a week on it. You know, like, uh, I, so I think that has in some ways been a little bit humbling where I'm like, wait, is this really what I'm going to do for a long time? Um, but at the same time, like, there's still so many uh, big riddles. And that's what I, I love about this is it just feels like a lot of riddles and like figuring out how to piece it all together. And, um, we haven't done it yet. You know, like we're, we're small and we're growing, but like how many people listening have never heard of Yopan before, right? Yeah. Like we still have a lot of work to do. So, um, yeah. And, and yeah, we'll see. I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> no, I think it's a great, I mean, it's a hard, I asked the question cause it's often difficult and like, I can't hold anybody to it because like who the heck knows what happens. Right. But I think, let me ask you this on the, on the Yopan itself. Like, as you think about, I'm sure being in your seat, you daydream slash strategize about what it is. The company looks like two years, five years, 10 years from now, but how do you, 
Like, what advice would you give to somebody who's like, hey, Abby Ann, I want to get, like, the beverage space is extremely intense. And so, mm. and especially about a product that people don't really know a whole ton about. I got to imagine this is like what the kombucha people felt like back in the day. And so, sure. what is, like, what is the thing that if you're telling your, you know, yourself 10 years ago something that you'd be like, this would be really great to know, like, what would that be? In the beverage space? Yeah, or even just what you're doing. Like if you're if you think about what piece of advice or what would I tell myself ten years ago, you know, would it be don't do it or would it be, hey, you know, you might consider this because it definitely I'm sure per- perseverance is probably a big part of it, you know, just being around long enough to see what happens. But I'm curious from yeah. your seat now, what would you say to yourself? Because I imagine a lot of folks right now it's like, hey, I want to start uh, this X beverage company, this new energy drink, right? And mm-hmm. you know, what would you tell that person? Well, I think if I was talking to myself, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I don't think I would want to know anything else because I don't know that I would have done it. Yeah, you would have done um, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So ignorance is bliss. Uh, I had no idea what we were taking on <laughs> when we started. Um, but to other people, I think what I've seen the most failures at this point, because we've been in the in this industry for, gosh, almost 10 years, which is crazy to think about, um, that where I've seen in beverage specifically, but I think in general CPG is you have to match your, like whether you want to call them your key success factors or the different aspects of your business, like you have to match um, what you keep in house, um, how you fund it and what your expansion is going to be. And so like you can't bootstrap launching in, sprouts whole foods and you know c stores nationwide like that's just not gonna work um and then i've also seen companies that have just tried to scale so fast that they've outsourced absolutely everything and so they don't own really anything um and so i think you've got to make sure that you're matching kind of those three things um otherwise it's it's not gonna work like you can't and, and then also that, so that means like, if you're going to ma- manufacture it yourself, then you're going to be funding it very differently than you would be manu- like funding if you're going to um, co-packers to do all of it. And so, um, yeah, I've seen a, lot, a lot of brands get in trouble with that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you, you, I know there's not one right, right way to no. do it, but I no. am curious in your mind, where is, what are the. What would you say are probably generally speaking eight times out of 10 a pitfall? You know, is it the giving away too much of your company too early to raise the money that you think you need to grow into oblivion? Or is it not staying in the fight long enough before you actually have to do that? You know, like just keep it up. Maybe don't try to grow too big. I'm always curious, like what entrepreneurs, especially when it comes to manufacturing and things like that, we're just capital intensive. Where do you find Sure, it? I think it's the... Um... Uh, from the outside looking in, since we didn't do it this way, I think uh, I've seen a lot of people struggle with their first and early investors, right? So they gave up way too much to this one person who then has so much sway and has a totally different vision Mm -hmm. um, or desire for their company. And they're done, you know? Um, when that push comes to shove, either they're out or the company folds. And, um, I've seen that, uh, I've seen that over and over. And especially when it's tempting to be like scrappy and be like, well, I'll pay. Okay. Like 
all right, graphic designer, okay, formulator, okay, y'all can all have a piece. But then you like look up and you've given away 15% of your company and you only have a, an MVP, like you don't even have product yet. Yeah. Um, or they could be getting a lot of funding from a, a fund or individuals that may have a really great track record, but their track record is a very different way than maybe this founder wants to run their business and their priorities are totally different. So yeah, I think that would be my biggest, or the, what I've seen kind of be the downfall more than ever. Yeah. It's not in not understanding where you want to go to. I find it like there's you will, the calculus will be very different if you're somebody who's a little more like I could see myself doing this forever. Well, that's a very different input than somebody who goes, nah, I just, I want to do this for three to five years, sell it and do something else. Um, sure. Right, wrong or indifferent. You might go about that a lot differently. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they're um, early investors or equity holders. I mean, it's a marriage, right? And um you know, the type of money that you get is hugely important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're right. This is something that it is a hard answer because it is a hard question because the answers are, it depends. And it's so many different ways that you can go with it. And almost every entrepreneur, even the ones who do it successfully will always have a, something they wish would have done just a little bit different or a lot. Oh, you know, sure. <laughs> you never you're just nothing. nail it. No, you're not being honest with yourself if you're like, yeah, I did that exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but this is to your point, like why it's probably helpful to let it unfold a little bit so that you at least can be only 5% wrong as opposed to 100% wrong. Sure. And I think, you know, I think this is true of anything, but especially in entrepreneurship, um, if you, you can't do it for the destination, right? Like you have to do it because you love the journey. Um, and you love the figuring it out. You love the uncertainty. You love the, um, the, the, all of these different factors that you're trying to figure out that every day looks different. Um, you, you can't do it if you want the destination of selling a company and, <laughs> you know, making your millions or, or whatever it is, or, or to be CEO, you know, like that, that doesn't just happen. Um, and you'll burn out long before you get there. So, yeah, it's, a. Uh... It's so hard to listen to that advice for, I think, a, a lot of folks. And we, you know, you, it's an odd thing. I, I often tell entrepreneurs, like, I know that the ones, especially that are go like, no, nah, man, look, I'm just, they don't say it like this. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't have a conversation. But like, they're in it just the, 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 the sale on the end of it. What's often funny is that the businesses that best sale in a transaction were the ones that were built for life, not the ones that were built for, you know, cause you end up looking into that train, it's all gutted out and it's barely holding together. Um, and it's funny, but you gotta build, like the, the ones that bring the biggest value are the ones that are built with really strong foundations and have a good economic model and have a great culture. And that's just a very different mentality that takes, I bet you if someone found Cat Springs today, they probably didn't think the company was around for a decade. Hmm. You know, because they'd be like, oh, man, this must be some new startup. Like, no, man, it's in the making for a decade. You know, overnight yeah. success took 10 years. You know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I still think we're a startup. And then I'm like, oh, when's, when's the expiration date on claiming to be a startup? <laughs> Is it 10 years? Is it 10 years? Because we're getting close. <laughs> Talk to me about 
brand. The one thing that I noticed in the way that you've put your site together and the way that you even talk about the product, how important, imagine with your background, but how important was establishing what the brand meant? And I'm curious what it, what, like, what do you want the world to see when you see, when they see Cat Springs? Oof, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I think where we're, we're in a really interesting position is that we're building both a brand and industry at the same time. Uh, you know, when we started, no one else was commercially selling Yopon. And so we kind of had to launch with that intent. Um, since then, several other, I want to say there's like 10 to 15 companies that have launched over the last decade. Oh, really? um, all the way. Oh, yeah. From Texas to Florida, um, Georgia, up to North Carolina. And, um, you know, we, we've actually helped start the American Yopon Association so that we can be a part of helping these other companies and these other brands. Because it's not an industry if there's only one small business, right? Like, <laughs> come on now. Um, we're all going to do it differently. And, and I want to yeah. be able to like help people do that. But um, at this, so that, that is one thing that kind of informed our brand. And then also the fact that um, uh, the majority of our customers, so we do direct to consumer and that's been a part of it, but we also, a lot of our customers are kind of bulk and ingredient, right? So um, whether it's kombucha brewers or energy drinks or um, restaurants, spas, hotels, all of that, we want the the Yopan to be forward. And then whatever it is that they value about our business, whether it's our employment model or sustainability um, or, or whatever, then they get to choose um, kind of what they value. And so I think that's really been at the heart of our brand is kind of like putting forward um forward the stories that really matter to us and then letting whatever resonate with people resonate and um it, which is is a lot easier said than done and i <laughs> much prefer longer form pr you know like we do really well with like npr pieces or bbc or that sort of thing but um yeah the like two second mentions don't really make a splash just because there is a lot of of meat around what we're doing and how we're doing it and um so yeah I don't, I, I think, and another thing that has been really humbling is, you know, if you like run the numbers on um, who's ordering from our website, it's pretty split, like actually perfectly even like 10% age 18 to 25, 25 to 35, like all the way up till 75. It's straight across the board. It's split 50, 50 male, female um, income levels, uh, education level. Uh, where they are located, obviously, we've got a bigger concentration here in Texas, but um, it's pretty split. And so I think that's what's been exciting is to just see that what resonates with people is um, just kind of our, our commitment to our community to um, producing something excellent. And um, yeah, just doing it well. And, you know, one of the things that we've chosen to define success at our company is uh, when everyone in our community succeeds. And in our view, our community is our, our customers, our suppliers, our employees, um, kind of everyone we work with is having that kind of longer game uh, mentality. And so, yeah. I dig it. I, is the, when you think about where your lean might be, you talk about you have businesses that you're totally cool with them saying, great, Cat Springs is our base. We're kind of adding what we need in there to mix it and make it what we need it to be and a new energy drink or a kombucha, or we love our customers who buy directly from us and just drink it every morning. 
if you had to lean one way or another, if you were like brand success would be more people just direct to consumer, or you would be totally okay with just providing a really strong foundational product to other people who are making something of it. Where does like your initial reaction go to? I don't know. It's a tough one. And I think it varies like year to year. Um, you know, (laughs) if anything, 2020 taught us the importance of diversifying. Um, just because like right out of the gates, a lot of our customers were hotels, restaurants, and spas. And like, we lost them in a matter of days. And, um, and I think too, like, as this is the tension of both a brand and a product category, like somebody is going to be more likely to pick up our Yopan off the shelf when they see, uh, you know, for example, if you're walking through Whole Foods right now, like Rambler has a sparkling energy drink that's based on Yopan. Greenbelt has a um, kombucha that's based on Yopan. You know, so there's there's all of these different brands that are kind of putting it forward. And, you know, what do they say? A customer needs to see something seven times before yeah. they remember. Mm-hmm. And so selfishly, I don't want to be responsible or paying for all seven of those interactions (laughs) so you kind of need one needs the other we need both we need both and and our brands at least the ones that we've had really great relationships with value our brand as well um you know we're really committed to all we do is yopon um that's it like we don't do really blends i mean we do some small ones on like for special occasions and that sort of thing but like we're not a blend house. Like there's so many other amazing tea companies that are great at that. So how about we sell you our Yopan and, and you make a much better blend than I would. Um, and same with like, that's the reason we haven't launched an RTD, you know, that's the vast majority or ready to drink. Um, you know, that's the vast majority of how tea is consumed in the U S. Um, but it's a totally different business, like back to matching our capital with our, <laughs> um, our distribution, you know, that's, an entirely different business and we'd rather work with um other companies that are doing it so yeah all we do is yopon um and then we get to partner with other brands um that are doing it and you know the feedback we get from them is they like when we are um just out there promoting our brand because our brand is so tightly related to the ingredient yeah it's a constant asking yourself of a question of like who are we kind of thing right it has to be otherwise you're right it's really easy to rabbit trail and go oh yeah we should have our own bottled tea and we should do this and we should do our own energy drink and we should you know and your your point is well then you might not you might not do all that very well and Mm -mm. you end up finding yourself getting more lost in the noise yeah and then you get miss out on a chance to work with some really cool other people yeah, that know you, and then they say, "Well, y'all to everything we do is powered by Cat Springs." That's just in a lot of ways its own thing. Is all the stuff still harvested or planted? Is it all growing still on the ranch there that y'all have, or is it expanded? Yeah, no, we actually um, uh, don't harvest on that land anymore. Um, okay. We've got about twelve landowners that we work with, um, and so we've got about a thousand acres of wild growth that's certified organic certified regenerative organic and certified kosher um so so yeah that's we work with a bunch of different landowners yeah that's impressive i gotta imagine did you are they usually pretty um aware what they have on there when you were finding these places or did you kind of have to educate them and said did you know you got something awesome here and i'd like to be a part of that or how did that work um, they're very aware they have Yopan uh, because it just grows <laughs> through their fences and their trails. Um, so we're actually helping them by doing a service and keeping their Yopan growth in check. 
Um, but yeah, a lot of people didn't realize that it is something pretty amazing. Um, I'll never forget one of the first taste testings we did in um, one of the small towns nearby, just to kind of get the word out of like, just, Hey, you all know this is what Yopan is. Um, This guy came up to us and he was just like, Yopan, Yopan. Yeah. He's like, man, you know why it's called Yopan, right? And I was like, no, he's like, cause I'm glad it's Yopan and not my pawn. (laughs) We're like, okay, thank you. Um, So that's kind of like the attitude towards it. Cause I mean, these people are spending so much money and effort. Like the, my first interactions with Yopan growing up were like with the machete so we could clear a trail. Like you can't yeah. even walk through it. It's a really, really dense understory. And that's another aspect of what we're working on. Um, when I say we haven't figured it out yet is, um, you know, where Cat Spring is, was traditionally grasslands. And so much of those native grasses were totally um, removed and replaced for grasses that are better for cattle or for hay, like Mm. coastal. Um, But the difference is native grasses, their root systems are like four to five feet deep. And so, um, whereas coastal is maybe three to six inches. And so what happens is that's like one of the main reasons that we see so much water runoff, depletion of the water table, um, because the rain just like is absorbed off the root systems aren't, um, bringing it back into the ground. And, um, and also Yopan just grows unchecked because those three to six inches of roots are going to do nothing. Um, versus those kind of five feet of really dense root systems um, of these native grasses. And so we're trying to work with the USDA um, to start doing some experimentation on what would it look like if as we're harvesting, we're clearing and reintroducing some of these native grasses in like patches um, to go through so that we can actually restore a little bit more of the um, balanced ecosystem. Because right now, Yopan isn't a a weed it's not invasive because it's native um but it really is grows unchecked and so it's also kind of funny so i'm like wait a second <laughs> i'm trying to remove some of our raw material as we go but uh, it is the most sustainable option and so that's something that we're, we're working on to get some experiments going um to see what that really looks like it's cool to hear you talk about even at the even at the cost of your own business so to speak you know doing the right thing right and that's something that again if you were goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Sometimes if you were pressured by investors in the wrong ways, you may not have the time and space to be thinking about what is the what is the right way to do the business, right? As opposed to sure. just just go ahead and and you know, devour everything that's out there and be indiscriminate about it. It grows everywhere in Texas, who gives a hoot and just go, right? And so that is sure. At the end of the day, I mean, in some ways, do you feel like that's probably a part of the the legacy or the things that you, whether you're doing this for the next 40 years or whatever it is, you know, that that's kind of part of what you want to leave behind is just, you talk about stewardship several times throughout this pod, but is that, it seems like that's what's important to you. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think, I think that's how we're called to live, right? Um, and I think the world's only going to be a better place and um by building businesses and, and doing work this way. Uh, and it, it goes back to kind of how we've viewed success. It's when everyone in our community succeeds. And I think that includes the land. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and sustainability is, is kind of a core part of what we're doing. You know, I, I don't know how it couldn't be when we're wild harvesting this, um, this growth and, 
and I think that's goes back to to the fact that like this is an indigenous plant and virtually every tribe had a tradition with it and um it's been lost and a lot of that has to do with kind of the monocrop um, approach to farming and obviously the eradication and forced relocation you know um, I'm actually a member of the Chickasaw tribe but they were relocated from Mississippi to Oklahoma and Yopan doesn't grow in Oklahoma and so it's been you know working with the elders there trying to figure out like what the tradition is like they're having to go back a couple hundred years as well to figure it out and um, you know, I think that's, that's kind of, um, it, it's humbling, but just even in the fact that like, that's where we're, we're working with is, you know, centuries of history, um, just immediately puts it in perspective, right? Like what's 10 years when, um, the stuff that we're looking back to is, you know, the first historical, um, observance of Yopan being consumed was here in Texas by Cabeza de Vaca in 1542. So, um yeah it's it's it just immediately gives uh depth and it's pretty humbling in that sense if i didn't know you were doing yopan i'd be like she's an anthropologist you know like it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> which it kind of is it's kind of neat to kind of see about the archaeology that you have to do to get to understanding and you don't have to do it but the fact that you're doing that i mean it resonates with me that that's like oh this is a business more than just let's sell you some tea. This is like, well, no, we're really trying to understand the best way to not only introduce people to this new thing, but really make them give a care about why it's, you know, why it's important. Um, yeah. That's impressive. What are you most, <laughs> I know we're coming up on time, but what are you most excited about with Cat Springs? Like what's the, is there anything shiny ahead right now that you're really stoked about? Even if it's boring as logistics, like I'm just curious, like what are the things that you're like, Hey, I'm really stoked 22, 23 for the business. Yeah, no, I think currently we've just recently soft launched um, our, it's called, we're calling it Vibe by Cat Spring, um, but it's, they're just pure Yopan crystals. So they're immediately water soluble in hot or cold water. Whoa. And yeah. Mix them in there like sugar crystals or something? Yeah. Um, and it's even less than that. Like, uh, I don't know if you can see, but there it is, that little vial um, that's got about 10 servings. And so you just do one capful in a cup of cold water and it's got, you know, 25 milligrams of caffeine and theobromine and theocrine. So it just gives you a little boost and antioxidants. And, um, you know, one of the things that I'd been, we've been toying with is <laughs> we've actually been looking for something like this for about seven years is how do we get, um, Yopan into the hands of more people, right? Like most people don't own a kettle, um, much less make the time to, to steep tea. Yeah. Um, my husband's British, so we're obviously on the other end of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a time in the day for it. Yes. Oh, yes. Several times in the day, actually. That's a real um, thing, by the way. Tea time is a real thing. It's like, hey, we're sitting down from X, day, X time to X time and actually drinking this stuff. Oh, I'm not like high tea, but like come 2 p.m. He's walking in here to get his his cup, cup. his cuppa. Um, <laughs> I love that. But, but yeah, so I think. Um, yeah, so we just wanted to make it more available. And um, so we're really excited to have that. And we just have soft launched it. It's available on our website. Um, and then I think just really excited about a lot of these partnerships that are, are coming out. Um, and then we'll be launching um, our our tea leaves, um, like just the, the tea bags will be in Whole Foods in the fall. And so that was one that grocery has never really been a huge priority for us. 
um, just because it's not a, a massive moving um, tea doesn't fly off the shelves <laughs> in grocery stores. Um, but having worked with them in a different capacity through our customers over the years have just built a relationship with them and um, their their team, especially here in Austin, are really big supporters of Yopan from the sustainability perspective. And so that's really exciting to have um, to have a brand that obviously sees a lot of different ingredients and brands, but for them to be pretty big, um, you know, doubling down on, on Yopan is exciting. So, yeah, I mean, I think just having some pretty exciting people in our corner and um, yeah. That's a lot to be excited about. I'm excited about trying, so I can pick up Vibe right now if I want to. Yeah, yeah. Send me your your address. I'll get you some. Oh, I love it. So wait, hold on. I mean, you just put it like cold or hot water, and I just it's kind of something I can just kind of take as my first drink in the morning to get me going. Sure. Yeah, I really like it in the afternoons because it's um, so it's super interesting, and this is what eventually we'll have the money to be able to fund. But obviously, human <laughs> chemistry and biology studies are not cheap. Um, but one of our advisors at Texas A and M, you know, one of his uh, hypotheses is. Um, so the way that the caffeine and Yopan is kind of stacked, it's like theobromine and theocrine and caffeine all together. And so it's very mild when you're just looking at the caffeine, it's only like 25 milligrams, which for pure caffeine is pretty low, but what you'll find is, um, it's a really nice, like mental stimulant. Um, and what his hypothesis is, is because it's actually released later, um, in your intestines, um, your large and your small intestines. And so what you're getting is kind of the sustained, um, mental focus. So it's not like the caffeine where you get like the jolt or the jitters. Um, it's just a much more kind of slow, um, boost. So we get feedback, like a lot of like endurance athletes really like it. Um, oh, yeah. for that reason. Well, and especially like no offense, but sometimes I'm like, especially right now in this Texas 90 something degree weather, like putting up a hot cup of tea right now does not sound appetizing, no. you know, but <laughs> yeah mixing that in a drink and being able to sip on it, you know, out of a, you know, vacuum thermos sounds incredible. Oh yeah. Well, and I will put it in my, my sparkling water or make my own Perfect. little, some lemonade for an Arnold Palmer on the go. So. Man, yeah. I think that's going to rip. That sounds awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. I dig it. Thanks. Well, I mean, Abby, before we let, you know, before we let you go, how can people follow you or track what you guys are doing? I know there's just, uh, you guys are doing some incredible things. I know y'all got your site, but what's the best way to keep up? Thanks. Um, Instagram is probably the one we update the most. We're starting to get better at that. <laughs> um, but Cat Spring Yopon, Y-A-U-P-O-N. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, we're named after the town of Cat Spring. So it's a singular spring. Um, but yeah, Cat Spring Yopon. And then our website will be the easiest and you can sign up there for an email updates if you're interested in staying up to date. That's awesome. Well, thank you, my friend, for being on today. It was really incredible you. about Yopan and just kind of what y'all are doing. And it's always refreshing to hear somebody who is still working with the earth and at the same time, who also is encouragingly say, you just got to stay the path for long enough to kind of, hmm. I bet you now you're like, you're probably thinking, where you are at today, you probably thought you would have been like 24 months into the business, right? Just... Oh my gosh. No, I was like, yeah, in four years, I think everyone in the world will have heard about Yopan. Like, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've got a lot of things working against us. It's like agriculture, manufacturing, 
and an unknown ingredient. It's fine. Hence, it's hence the, the blissful ignorance at the beginning, right? <laughs> That's right. But it's exponential. Like once it gets going, it, it gets going, but you got to stay in it long enough. So yeah, Abby Ann, thank exactly. you for being on. It was really great. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is a blast. Well, thank you all for listening. This is the Professionally Offensive Podcast. You can catch us on all platforms. JC out.